Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. This podcast is brought to you by Kalamba Games, where they build the world's most engaging slots. To find out more about their hit titles, promotional tools, and Bullseye Remote Gaming Server, visit kalambagames.com. I have the privilege of being friends with several of the guys over at Kalamba, and they are fantastic. And I'm not saying that to be invited to one of their legendary office pool parties. Um, or maybe I am. In any case, check out kalambagames.com. This podcast is brought to you by BitCasino, the leading Bitcoin-led casino operator that has an expansive quality casino product featuring close to 3,000 games, including slots, table games, and live dealer casinos from some of the industry's leading suppliers. Head over to bitcasino.io to find your favorite games. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lindt. Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome to the iGaming Next podcast. How's it going, Pini? Great, Pierre. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Very, very good. It's uh, back in Malta here. I was in Spain for a couple of weeks, uh, actually visiting my my brother. Um, but uh, back in Malta, everything shut down. But uh, you know what? It's it's okay with me. Actually, it makes me more focused on on work, so I can't complain. And in Israel, everything is uh, open. Everything is back to normal, no? Yeah, Israel is uh, the world's laboratory in terms of the uh, COVID vaccination, and it's uh, going great. So. Uh... Life is almost back to normal, and uh, hopefully it stays this way. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope so as well. It feels like there is a little bit of a um, light at the end of the tunnel uh, here. Obviously, Israel leading the way in the world uh, here, actually, with the vaccination process. Is, is it complete now? or? It's like, yeah, I think it's like 60% of the population are like uh, fully vaccinated. But I guess it's enough to make the numbers very, very low. I just checked yesterday. It was like 135 cases, which is very low. And they just kind of like reopening and relaxing more and more constraints that they had before. So it looks very positive. Amazing. Happy to happy to hear that, uh, Pini. So you know, to start uh, the the podcast today, I mean, uh, Pini, you're the CEO of Optimove, and I just thought it was funny. You you did a presentation that I was watching the other day where you went like, "This is the first and only job I ever had." And right. you've obviously been building up to move, and this is your life, this is your career, this is everything you've done. So I, I just wanted to start off with you, you know, introduce yourself a little bit, and how did the idea come to be, and just your journey yeah. so far? 
Sure. So, uh, so yeah, I was uh, I was uh, in academia uh, up until I was 30, and I was uh, doing some work in uh, around uh, operations research and stochastic modeling. And then basically, I started the Optimove journey. It began as a kind of like a data agency at the beginning, uh, where there was no software. So that's how we we got started. Uh, I had a partner at the time. He was a PhD in machine learning, and he left quite early, but uh, we did like the agency thing for three years. And then in 2012, we actually launched Optimove. And I've been, I always say that, you know, I I kind of like grow Optimove, but Optimove also grows me as, a, as an executive, as, as, you know, as an adult. So it's uh, it's pretty funny. So yeah, that, that has been my experience. And it is my first grown-up job, right? If you put aside bartending and things like that when I was a student. <laughs> Yeah, which also gives a pretty good learning experience as being a bartender as well. Sure, but, yeah, for sure. di different ways. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, Optimum obviously leading um, CRM uh, tools within the agri industry. Uh, but I want to start today a little bit just um, Pini by first principle thinking. I'm, I'm a big fan of first principle uh, thinking. Kind of what uh, Elon Musk does when he asks himself, you know. Um, what is the business model of Tesla, for example, and he breaks it mm -hmm. down in very, very basic terms, you know, how, he, how he's going to succeed. Mm -hmm. um, and he does that by, by saying, for example, in terms of Tesla, he's like, okay, we use a little bit of money that we have to build a very expensive car because we can only build a couple of them. Then we use that money to build um, a second car that is produced in, in medium amount of examples, targeting like the less switch, let's say. And then we use that money to build the mass market card that's going to take over the world, you know, that's like typical uh, yeah. first uh, principle thinking. And well so, yeah, it's a great model, you know, and, and easy to understand and so forth. So I want to ask you, uh, Pini, just uh, breaking down CRM at its core, you know, can you explain a little bit uh, uh, what uh, what is the use of CRM and what it is and what's the purpose and so forth? Yeah, for sure. So, so I think first of all, when when uh, the term we like to use is CRM marketing and not CRM alone. I think CRM alone, people okay. typically think about Salesforce, and it's typically yeah. a tool for salespeople and during uh, usually in B two B environments and not in B two C environments. When you talk about B two C environments, just like gaming, where you actually you know providing a platform for brands that have end customers, uh, we talk about CRM marketing. And the, the innate principle of CRM marketing is, first of all, it's marketing, right? So it's about um, delivering some kind of a, some kind of a message to your uh, end consumers, and uh, it's obviously about storytelling and mostly about engaging people, right? So you can, you know, in in a certain world, you can spend zero money on marketing in general and believe that you have an amazing product and people are just going to talk to one another and all you need to do is provide them with the service or the product or the entertainment and just come and enjoy it and come back maybe if you have a, you know if you're curing cancer right as we as we always say but if you're not uh, you pr probably need to do marketing you need to uh, to engage with your customers and CRM marketing is typically associated with the um, what we call post the funnel. So uh, you have acquisition marketing, which is everything you do to acquire a new customer. But once you have a new customer or even a new visitor or somebody that's already kind of like landing on one of the properties that your brand has, right? We can say from that point, you start doing CRM marketing because you can identify that person again and again. So from, from identifying the person, it goes back to 
Um, ultimately, you want to create loyalty. You want to maximize customer customer lifetime value. And the way you do it is you engage with your customers, right? You you send them different messages. Mostly, those messages are trying to start a conversation with your customer. So you want to do something that makes them react, right? Uh, whether it's because it's very relevant or because you find them in the best channel that you can find them where they actually are. Um, and it's just about, you know, the engagement. So you send messages to people, you do a little bit of storytelling, and ultimately it becomes an extension of your branding efforts, right? Because your brand is this thing that represents your values and what you're about and, uh, a promise for repeated experience. Uh, typically, Americans say that, like, what is a brand? It's like a promise for repeated experience, like something that you can expect and know. But through CRM marketing, uh, when you create this kind of like one-to-one -one interaction, and this is uh, also very important <clears throat> in the past, you didn't have this because everything was was uh, was mass marketing. Uh, with technology, you're able to to speak to small segments, small groups of customers, and have a discussion that's much more intimate. And it all goes back to the origins of CRM, right? So usually, like what's the idea of CRM, right? So you have your local grocer, you go down every day, uh, that person's name is John, he knows you by name, he greets you when you go in, he tells you that the favorite bread that you really like is just arrived and it's fresh and warm. He tells you that, uh, you know, uh, you can try out something new because he knows the types of other things you tried in the past and you told him that you like it. But uh, John, the grocer, he has a relationship with like, what, 50 customers, 100 customers that he knows because these are the people from the community, from the neighborhood. But what can a brand do when the brand has a million customers? So we're always chasing this story of John, right? We're always, you know, chasing this story of replicating that level of intimacy uh, that a big brand is trying to achieve with the with the you know with with the consumers with 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 a large volume a large quantity of, of consumers so i think that's the basics of of cr marketing if if that makes sense yeah absolutely so i mean it's it's uh, i guess to uh, to uh, to summarize it it's kind of like um getting to know your customer, like if you have a large set of customers, getting to know them on an individual basis so that you can deliver a personalized experience for them in, uh, in, in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a thousand percent. A thousand percent. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. And, you know, you talked about that uh, the gaming industry specifically is kind of the pioneers in CRM marketing. Uh, can, you, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Why specifically is the gaming industry so ahead in CRM marketing, let's say? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's actually very interesting, and I, I got a chance to think about it only kind of like a few years after uh, we we engage with the industry very closely. And uh, if you think about it, ga the gaming industry is, is one of the first industry to go online, right? So uh, so that's a fact, right? It's one of the first industries to truly offer like an online experience, much way way before e-commerce. And so that's the first thing, and. When things become online, you can do a lot more one-to-one -one marketing because you have people's data. If you think about a traditional retailer, if the retailer has a loyalty program and people identify themselves every time they purchase, then you can do CRM marketing because you know them and you see their repeated behavior. 
but still very big retailers, a big portion of the revenues is not identifiable. So somebody, you know, you, you pick a product, you purchase it, you go out, you don't identify yourself. In online, everybody is essentially enrolled into this loyalty program or in an app, right? So you, you're automatically identified. So I think this is kind of like the beginning that created the made gaming a very good fit. But there's like there's, there's others other elements that make make gaming a very good fit, even if I compare it to other industries today. So one of them, for example, is uh, the velocity, the speed of interaction. Um, people, gaming players consume the the entertainment uh, quite often, right? It's not like a retailer where you're buying mattresses and you're going to buy one once in three years. And then during those three years, you don't want to hear from the brand. You don't care about it. You moved on and you continue with your life. Uh, in gaming, you may play once a week, once a month, you know, two times a week or three times a day, depending on, on your profile. So the very high level of interaction creates an opportunity to start multiple conversations and constantly engage with your audience, with your players. So that's another thing. Another thing is uh, it's very data rich, right? Uh, you got different types of products. You can track every spin, every bet, every deposit, every withdrawal. And, and you can compile a rich story about each customer and each individual. So you got a lot of data points. Uh, that's another thing that tell you a lot of things about uh, your players. And another thing is uh, gaming operators Usually, I think today there's a lot of discussions about bonus bonusing, and some countries are restricting bonusing, for example, Sweden or Spain. But at the same time, you have a lot to say, right? You can engage with your players with many, many different things. So in retail, for example, if you want to get a discount, you need to speak to the merchant and have the merchant fund the discount or you fund it yourself. Uh, in gaming, like things like matchup bonus and things like that are, are very easy to do. Um, and you got lots of things going on in sports. You got a ton of events happening, a ton of games. So you know you have people who are fans of a, of a specific team. So you you have multiple reasons to start a conversation, and the CRM mechanism um, at its core uh, is very is very advanced, right? Very detailed. So that too creates like this this really fertile soil to do CRM marketing, mm. and. Lastly, I think because because gaming was born online, the, the level of talent that you have in gaming, like people that deal with data, uh, people that understand the predictive models, um, analytics departments, uh, it's something that you know happened in gaming much sooner than than any other industry. Hmm. Interesting. So you you mentioned the example of uh, you know the person who buys the mattress every every 3 years for example and um clearly the the difference here is that uh, you know the mattress company has can quite easily perfect their CRM because there there isn't that much interaction that is needed right so there isn't that much innovation that is needed or that is uh, possible in the CRM space for uh, for that type of product or that company whereas in the iGaming space for example there is so much interaction between the customer and the and the organization and also the behavior of the customer is constantly changing there's new products uh, uh, and so on and so forth so there's just uh, kind of an incredible um, amount of data that can be captured to be able to then kind of perfect the relationship with that specific uh, customer and offer uh, uh, offer unique experiences and, and, and offers and so forth. So on that note, um, 
what would you say is like the um if, if you if you go back in time like 10 years and how CRM was done then you know when you started up to move in your your first job and uh, and these other things and and what um progress have you made until now and how how would you say how much can still be improved let's say how how yeah. how much further can CRM marketing go than where we are today yeah I think that the basic principle uh, has always been the same, kind of like going back to John the grocer. Uh, but but at the same time, the ability to achieve that vision is is getting much much better, and it's it's related to a lot of uh, you know universal trends in technology. For example, kind of like cloud computing and data technologies. It's all making all of us much much closer to that vision. Um, so, so even ten years ago, <clears throat> we would we would uh, get a lot of data about the players. It was harder, right? If we work with like a, a very technological company, it's going to be easier for them to do it. But companies that you know struggled more, it was harder. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of questions about, <clears throat> sorry, kind of like data uptime versus data up downtime. Are you getting everything correctly all the time? And so that's so that's uh, one element. And I think today is like it's being completely democratized. Right. So it's much easier to work with any type of brand, you know, capture the data, their data with with great accuracy uh, in real time and for multiple sources. It's all getting much, much easier. And uh, and uh, obviously you can see, you know, Amazon and Azure and all of the cloud providers and GCP are, are doing extremely well because of that, because everybody's leveraging the, the great compute power that exists today in the world. So this is on, on the data side. I think the same thing, if you talk about insight generation, people did predictive models in the past as well, uh, but only big, big corporations could afford it. Uh, today, again, thanks to the cloud, you can deploy predict predictive models in production. You can train them much easier. Much easier. You can make sure a big problem with predictive models is that they age, and at some point, uh, they lose accuracy. So there's lots of technologies to make sure that doesn't happen. So also the ability to deliver on predictive models has become much easier. And even the math, the math has been democratized. Right today, you can grab the the Amazon recommendation model. Right, they they offer it as as an API. Right. Uh, where you know the same model that tells you these products are also recommended for you, you can get it right. You can get it as an API, and, and there's loads of uh, open source libraries and all the math and all the algorithms have also been completely democratized in terms of the, the ability to derive insights. So what's left today is a company's ability to to pick the right problem to solve. That's actually very big. Uh, not necessarily the problems that have already been solved, but like pick the next best problem that you think the world's going to want um, and then stitch it together with the right math. So this is kind of like, let, let's say, data, then insights, and then the third part is engagement. We're seeing much, much more uh, communication channels, right? So I'll give you an interesting stat. Uh, Optimum clients today, on average, they use 3.6 channels. That's the average. Obviously, the best ones would use seven, eight, nine, uh, but the average is three point six. And three years ago, it was around two. So it's almost doubling the, the amount of channels. So, for example, the ad platforms, right? You can uh, you can show messages today across Facebook and Google and Credio and LiveRamp 
and treat it as a CRM marketing campaign. So for known customers, you go outside to an ad platform and, and you show the messages, um, which wasn't possible, I think, five or six years ago. It's been around for a while, but it's getting more and more prevalent. The same thing for mobile messaging, right? So a lot of messages uh, in-app, push, web push, like and, and having an orchestrator, kind of like a smart orchestrator running those messages constantly, uh, and email and web. So it's all about stitching all of those channels together. In the past, they used to work in silos. So you would have an email team, a mobile team, a web team, right? Um, an acquisition team that did the ads. But it's one customer, right? So you, ideally, you want the customer to experience the brand symmetrically across those different channels. So that's also becoming much, much better. And I think that it will continue to, to become much, much better. So I think um, past and future, kind of like it's, it's all about realizing that vision. And I think slowly and surely we're getting closer and closer to that place. And for us, I think after kind of like the data bar part is being uh, is, has been improved dramatically, the the predictive part and insights part has been improved dramatically. Uh, for us, the next phase is essentially optimization. So having this kind of like a machine learning decider or agent that sits in the middle and basically takes decisions in terms of what's the best thing that we can offer a certain player, right? Where we have a gamut of alternatives. What's the best thing to, what's the, this is why we are called OptiMove. That's the same vision for us as well. Like what's the optimal message, the optimal move that you can do with every customer at every point in time. And uh, once you have a strong data foundation and you have a strong execution capability in terms of all the different messaging channels, marketers start to, generate a lot of different messages a lot of different all of a sudden they're able to start multiple conversations with their customers and now it's a question of optimization what's the best thing to show to who and when when you're uh, 10 years ago or even i think still with many companies today when you're at starvation and you can only do one or two journeys and you can only activate your customers across one or two channels you don't have that problem. You're just trying to do the basics. You're just like, oh, I just want a good welcome series, right? Or I just want a good win-back journey. But when... Ultimately, the one title I can give it, you want to reach personalization at scale. That's, that's the future, personalization at scale. So if today it's done in a certain way, it's, it, it, the scale will improve. So instead of having you know 20 20 different segments that you constantly communicate with you will have hundreds and hundreds or even thousands and you will have a machine learning decider that's just going to manage all of that automatically for you yeah super interesting so it sounds a little bit like um removing friction and being able to uh, to work at scale to deliver that at the end of the day that personalized experience uh, going back to Joe the uh, Joe the baker or, or whatever is the is the end uh, goal here um the grocer uh, you're the grocer yes <laughs> um so again looking into the future you you mentioned machine learning and i know that um, uh, machine learning ai in general is something that optimove is is uh, taking seriously um in terms uh, and, and AI in general, I think is is a big hype word at the moment in in, I, in the world. Uh, you know, fueled by again Elon Musk, uh, self-driving cars, and the the um, 
the feeling that we are just behind the door of like uh, having uh, massive AI capabilities uh, in in the real world. But um, sometimes also uh, AI can be a little bit overhyped, so to say. I mean, what, what's your thoughts in general on AI, its capabilities, and where it will be relevant to you guys and CRM in the going forward? Like, uh, how far can we actually go? Do you think in the next decade, let's say, using AI yeah. tools? Uh, this is the <clears throat> you know, we can go for hours about this topic because it's also philosophical yeah. to talk about. So I got you know quite a few references about it. I think that. Uh, let me try to organize my thoughts. But like, I, I would start from, I think the, you know, Gartner typically uh, use what they call a technology hype cycle, right? So exactly. it, it comes up, you know, the huge hype, go down. it starts to go down. <clears throat> and I think right now, I think that the, the peak of the hype cycle of AI was like 18 months ago. And actually it started to go down and, and we can, okay. we can, and a funny story, when I started Optimove, it was like, when I started, actually, the agency was around 2010, even before Optimove, I met a bunch of tech veterans, and they told me, Pili, don't use the word AI. Don't mention AI. Like, if you say AI, you're going to be dead. <laughs> because at the time, there was another hype cycle that, like, went down, and, and but then kind of, like, you know, eight years later, it came back. And I think, why did it come back? Because people start seeing things like Google Translate. Google Translate is an amazing example of AI working perfectly well, right? And constantly learning and evolving and improving. And uh, I'm amazed myself by by the results, like, uh, you know, things I used to write like a year ago that it was shit. And now it's like yeah, now. decent. It's crazy. It can even, you know, sometimes when I write in Hebrew and I try to translate it, I would write an English word with uh, with Hebrew fonts, which is not even a word in Hebrew. <laughs> but Google identifies that, mm -hmm. and uh, so <laughs> it's, it's crazy, amazing. So things like that, and things like Siri, and uh, uh, gotten, and you know Watson with the Jeopardy game, gotten people to believe that okay, AI is is amazing. It's going to change the world in every field. And the difference mm -hmm. is that, and I think what they realize is that. Not all the problems are the same. Some problems are, are very well suited for AI, and other problems would struggle with AI. So uh, that's that's in general uh, what I would say. Um, another thing, there's always the relationship between kind of like man and machine. Uh, you know, everybody thinks about the movie Terminator, uh, like AI is going to replace us and going to take our jobs and, uh, and things yeah. like that. But actually, in history of, of mankind, what replaced humans is not AI, it's automation. Uh, so automation replaces humans, not AI. So like uh, automatic uh, cash registers in, in, in uh, Tesco uh, will replace human cashiers, but that's not AI, right? That's just automation technology. So Automated CRM tools might replace marketers. Okay, so I'll, I'll, touch, I'll, I'll touch that in a second. I'll touch that yeah. in a second. Actually, <laughs> our, approach, our approach is... So exactly, so our approach is actually... Actually, you should think about, uh, instead of Terminator, you should think about Iron Man. So Iron Man is a man, and then when he wears the suit, right, <laughs> he basically becomes enhanced, right? So you can be enhanced, you can enhance your capabilities using AI. And that's exactly the, the analogy that we use. So we, we still think, and especially in marketing, we think that... Uh, 
you're going to need the marketer for many, many, many years in the future. Maybe in 20, 30 years, I don't know, maybe technology will get to, to a scary point. But like at the moment, you still need the marketer to come up with, a, with an idea, right? A, people always talk about when you talk about man versus machine, you say, you know, machines can, can do many things, but they don't know how to ask a question. Right. So yeah. asking a question is something that people will probably forever be better than machines. And another thing is machines don't know how to design an experiment, right? To design a multi-step experiment that's going to give me some kind of a result and I can reach some kind of a conclusion. So in those areas, you still need a human being. You need the person to say, hey, if the player has a lot of balance in their account and they haven't played for three months, I think that's a cool idea for a campaign. A machine would need a semantic knowledge of the world trying to understand, uh, but we, we're predicting something about people. You know, we are people, you know, we get it. Like, it makes sense to us. It's easy. So our thinking is uh, something that works. With it. We think in terms of narratives, and, and uh, it's a completely different way of thinking. So our entire approach for AI is, is basically enhancing the marketer. So saying to the marketer, look, you come up with ideas. Uh, you come up with different experiments. And we use AI mostly for optimization, mostly for optimization. So in that, so the marketer defines kind of like the framework. He tells the AI, this is where you play, right? You play over here. I have, I, I, I define the boundaries. I define the framework. I tell you, uh, you know, what is the surroundings of, of the problem that you're going to solve? And then AI is going to use, you know, the, the power of computers and, and uh, you know, uh, trying multiple variants and things like that and, and find the best solution and just, you know, squeeze a little bit more value than what the marketer would have done alone, right? Sometimes a lot more value. So I think that's 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 the general approach. It's not necessarily, I think, you know, in the beginning, you asked me about what happened like uh, 10 years ago. So a lot of people think that, you know, AI is uh, usually when you think about the problems, you have a, a, clustering pro a clustering problem, a classification problem, and a prediction problem. Those are the three most common problems that you solve with AI. Like coming up with the, with the risk of churn model, propensity model, or predicting future value, like predictions themselves, they're not as beneficial, in my opinion, unless they're used for optimization. So... The whole point is, is uh, to take what the marketer has done and then use all of these models for de better decisioning, better optimization, better serving of messages, choosing the best thing to do, but among alternatives that the marketer has provided. I'm going to stop here to see if you still have a pulse. Yes, I, I do. I'm, I'm listening deeply, <laughs> uh, deeply. Yeah. I mean, uh, just a, a comment from my side would be uh, what you're saying here as well to, uh, to, to summarize as well is the fact as well that um, like I said, the input has to come from the human. Let's say, what are we, what is the goal here? What are we what are we kind of doing? But another aspect, perhaps, is as well um, the uh, trust between the human and the AI, in the sense that not not in the sense of the Terminator, perhaps, but uh, but but AI and machine learning is so complex that when we tell when Google programs their machine learning system to recognize a dog from a cat, it can do it really well. But we as humans cannot say why it can do it, right? And and that poses problems in in if you scale it up, 
you don't know if you can trust the AI to take the right decisions always, right? So for example, I don't know if you you have seen this funny example of, of the uh, Husky AI problem, uh, where basically, um, uh, where basically they, they program a machine learning system to recognize Husky dogs from normal dogs. Okay, and they, after a while, it start, the, the system starts learning, it starts perfecting it, and, and after a while, it starts uh, getting the right answer every time. But the, <laughs> they realized that it didn't recognize a husky from other dogs because it was a husky. It, 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 the, the, the reason it re recognized husky was the because... Uh, the no, because um, most of the huskies are... Uh, in icy conditions, so there's always like snow in the picture. So right. the machine learning system learned to recognize snow from not snow, and that's how it told uh, the human that it was a husky or no husky. And I guess that boils down to the problem where we don't know exactly why the why the machine learning system comes yeah. to the uh, conclusion it does, and uh, that's also why we need a human to uh, intervene sometimes, right? I, I think I, that's actually you, you know. I, it's 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 about understanding how it works. I think that you know uh, this is a great example, but that you just mentioned. So you know, my three-year-old, when he was two, you show them, a, you you know, he saw a, a real cat and then two pictures of cats, and after three, you know, a sample size of three observations, he can identify a cat, you know, in three D, in an illustration, in a. This is what we are very good at. So if you think about human versus machines. People are very good at generalizing with very low sample size, in, in, right? We do it all the time, right? Because that's how yeah. we're wired as creatures. It's something uh, primordial in the way we're programmed, right? It's it's in our, it's basically in our, uh, you know, machine code, right? It's way way down there, and uh, humans are very good at that, right? You can see the same thing repeating itself three, four times. You're done. You're like, oh. I'll never do this and this and this when this and this and that happens. That's how you think, right? Uh, that's why, by the way, we're also racist. It's, uh, but don't, let's not go yeah. there, but that's in general <laughs> the same reason why we are racist, because we are yeah. wired like that. And a machine, uh, and my, my three-year-old could, could spot like a, a new animal after three observations. The machine learning algorithm needs millions, if not billions of observations of different pictures exactly. where there mm -hmm. is a cat to ultimately see that, that this is a cat. But the way it works, it's, it's basically very simple, right? So uh, like I think with a cat, it's it's uh, finding the triangle of the pointy, mm -hmm. but it doesn't start with, with like a strategy. It basically starts with brute force. It scans, it, so what happened with the Husky pictures, it's not because of uh, some kind of an intent. Exactly. What happened was it just, turned out to be a very good strategy. If you see a dog yeah. in a picture that has many, many white pixels, which is probably snow, and mm -hmm. I'm probably oversimplifying it, right? So this is where you can, uh, and, and then the model works on percentage of error and success, right? So it's called basically reinforcement learning, right? So you go through many, many observations, you make a mistake, you try something else, you make a mistake, you try something else. You try something else, then 10% of the times, you get it right. Then you'd go deeper over there and you try and you try. So it's that's basically how it works. There's, there's nothing, I don't think it's something to be afraid of in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, the reinforcement learning process itself. 
it works without conscience, without a, you know, a sense of meaning, a sense of understanding. It's just doing an optimization problem. So yeah. if you start putting pictures of Huskies uh, in, the, in the middle of New York City, the model will have to learn actually how a husky looks like, maybe more exactly. fur or maybe the blue eyes or I don't know what, but like that's all it's not going to succeed. I don't know, but like that's how it works. Yeah, ex exactly. I think it, it, I guess in that example is just that um, and it could perhaps be that this uh, bias exists in other AI um, machine learning systems as well where, where it tells the right answer, but we just don't know why and it might be saying it for the wrong reason so kind of unleashing ai for much more complex uh, operations and much more important operations let's say for example you unleash ai to replace lawyers to interpret contracts for example um uh, you know to 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 make that commitment we, we really need to know why the ai is choosing certain decisions mm -hmm. um and, and i guess that is the limitation in ai right now that we just don't know how to uh, how to break down the machine learn like like the the neural networks uh, that is associated with the machine learning system, whereas I think, up, up, which is a big problem in AI, I think um, how they are trying to solve it is by by creating explainable AI, right? Like XAI, right. as it's called, right? Which basically solves that issue. We can we can say we can look at the model and we can say that. Uh, okay, right. the AI is choosing the Huskies because there is snow in the picture. We can see that black and white kind of thing. And I guess so, that is the key to kind of unlock right. so we more actually, important AI. We, we did it ourselves. So like sometimes if you, if we yeah. build a model, if we build a model that's based on the neural network, as you mentioned, and you get a great prediction, uh, and the prediction is very accurate, but the customer tells you, but who's going to churn? Tell me, tell me the reasons. Mm -hmm. So then, what we do, we take the, res the results of the the results of the of the neural network, and then we build a decision tree. It just shows you what happens. So, oh, mm -hmm. if the customer didn't visit your site for more than thirty days, and then if the customer is, uh, you know, never right. played poker, and then so then you, ex you you build another model on top of the deep learning to explain the deep learning. All right, I, I understand. And so that that has to be, I mean, a little bit the key here to kind of like really uh, unleash the AI to take more deeper decisions or to uh, or to give better recommendations. Actually, uh, so that I actually can explain why it's taking certain decisions. Basically, I mean, that must be a big focus of you guys as you are developing your AI systems. I would imagine. Yeah, but I think, but I think for us, it's definitely kind of like we we have a, we have a, another some other applications in the system that uh, we have a, a bot called OptiBot that basically gives recommendations. And sometimes kind of like uh, the marketer needs to trust the recommendation before the marketer actually analyze. And sometimes you have some trust issues there and people need to be convinced or it's not a part of the strategy that they decided to do as a, as a company. So many times uh, the problem comes from even, uh, you know, users are afraid to take decisions that may impact uh, they don't want to go through kind of like the approval cycles and go up and ask their manager or the or the executive. So so yes, over there we see some trust issues. But overall, when you when you when you run uh, when you when the marketer creates a few alternatives, essentially the marketer is okay with each alternative being presented to the end consumer, to the player. So now it's only a question of finding the best mix that makes you the most money, right? So we, we have uh, like uh, campaigns that are called self-optimized campaigns where the alternatives that the, you know, then 
the options of the different things you're going to show the player are given by the marketer. Now, the market is like, hey, I would just do a plain A-B test and I would put 50% here and 50% here. So what I'm saying is like, let me have the percentages. You're fine with 50-50. So you're fine with, you don't know who's going to fall here and who's going to fall here. So yeah. Pierre is the player. You can get message A or message B and message A, let's say it's across email and push and message B is like Facebook and Google. And this is a promo code. This is a promotion. And the other one is a, an unveiling of a new product or a new game. You'll find with the Pierre seeing e either one of them. So we take, let us have the percentages and let us do the optimization. I'll show you eventually that I can make you more money, right? I'll show you in the analysis that I make you more money than random 50-50. Yeah. So, so you don't have the feel factor in, in this type of example. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Pini, I mean, um, you mentioned A-B testing uh, here previously. And I, I have a question in, in regards to, uh, to that and kind of the capabilities of AI uh, in general as we, as we move forward. And I'm not sure if it's a relevant question or, or not, but, you know, looking into the, looking into the future, A-B testing right now is obviously you are, you are testing against the market, the real market in real time, so to say and uh, understanding whether you should go to A or if you should go to B and kind of um, uh, scale up the campaign from there. But um, seeing that AI is becoming more and more powerful, um, that you are creating and collecting this amount of data that you have, uh, is it possible to create like, um, uh, like predictive models where you build uh, simulated A-B testing Using using AI uh, to predict uh, what uh, yeah, predict the A/B testing basically is that a relevant question? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it goes back to what we said before, where uh, humans are better at asking questions and designing experiments. So what you're asking, can a machine design an experiment? I think probably. And again, I'm no you know there's, there's other people on the planet who know AI much better than I do, but. Uh, uh, I did spend a little bit of time on it. So I think that probably you can train a AI to ask, uh, to create experiments, which are very similar to different experiments that it has seen before. So this can, this, you can probably do that, but like, that's always how it needs, right? You need to teach it something, you know, there's this zero, you know, knowledge of the world and how the world works. But for example, like if you're thinking of a, and mostly it's going to be better with environments that are more well guarded, I think, or, or uh, more narrowed in terms of their scope. Typically, marketing has to do with, with the world and, and trends that go on and seasonality and, uh, you know, sports, you have events. And, and obviously, you're going to do a lot of campaigns about the Euro, you know, when the Euro is coming up, right? And, and uh, so then, like, okay, AI could start... You know, you can teach AI to look for different sporting events and then offer specific campaigns for specific matches. So maybe it's going to be so you can you can probably do stuff like that, uh, but it has to be around something that it can see a set of experiments designed by people and then try to mimic that or even do it a bit better. Mm. Okay, fair, fair enough. Yeah, it's interesting to say. I mean, I, I like to think about the future in general and, and kind of how uh, AI will develop and what capabilities it, it will have. But uh, it's uh, interesting to hear from the from the horse's mouth. Obviously, you, you guys are um, in the front in developing these type of tools and, and, um, and so forth. So I appreciate that. Um, 
you know, b- before we start rounding things off today at Pippin, I'm, I'm also curious about something else. I mean, um, I've been in the industry for, for a long time, um, you know, following a lot of the operators. And something I noticed that I, I, gu- I guess it's pretty obvious is the fact that um, being an operator is almost like a commodity now in a sense where if I play on Le Vegas if I, or if I play uh, on Betson, the experience will be fairly similar. And, you know, you play the same games, you know, you deposit with the same deposit methods and um, it's it's commoditized in, in a sense. So um, use, I, I would imagine, I mean, since the core function of, of uh, working with CRM marketing is to um, is to understand your customers and, you know, to differentiate yourself as a, as a brand in some sense. Uh, like, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, how can you as an operator differentiate yourself uh, using CRM, uh, CRM marketing? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's actually great that that you said that because it's uh, this is another I think it this is another uh, difference between uh, gaming and other industries and why CRM marketing is so well suited for gaming. So if you think about it exactly as you said, and you you gave two uh, Swedish operators as an example, I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the color of your hair, maybe. Uh, I, I know, I know. It gives me away yeah. every time. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, absolutely. I think I think um, first of all, gaming, you know, are offering entertainment that's like um, with you know with lots of tradition, right? Uh, nobody's inventing a new blackjack, right? So you like blackjack because your father liked blackjack and he taught you to play blackjack, or your best friend when you were sixteen. So we don't see a ton of new games in that space, right? So so the games themselves are pretty similar. And then operators are using different content providers and they just kind of like connect them to the platform. So as a player, I can play games from, I, I can consume exactly the same content probably with most operators, right? So you can say, and of course, uh, different operators, they have different experience on their platforms and, and they do have differences, but, um but largely uh, it is I, I think it's safe to say that that you know they're selling a commodity so uh, so that that's generally when when you're selling a commodity you're trying to, to think what what makes me different right so if I can engage players and I can uh, show them that I know them and that I offer them value each time I, I engage with them and interact with them I offer them much more relevance, then it could be a strategic weapon, right? It could be something that truly differentiates you from other folks in the same industry. And we feel that, uh, you know, our best clients actually did that. Uh, and something that we we always like to monitor is that the gaming industry grows by 9%, at least probably after COVID, it's probably faster than that, but like before COVID, it was 9%. And the optimal clients grow by 25%. Uh, so... Whether it's because uh, you know we always have uh, you know correlation versus causation, right? Are they better because they took Optimove, or were they better before that, and that's why they chose Optimove, right? But by just a stat, like a lot of fast-growing brands, obviously like Intain and Fortuna, and um, you know the the, the fastest-growing brands in Italy, and um, you know Stickerman, and like different super fast growing brands and the same goes in the US, uh, like Hard Rock, they're basically, you know, relying on Optimove. 
and they, they understand this concept that through CRM marketing, through better engagement with their clients, they can actually boost customer lifetime value and maximize the value of every customer. And then they have more money to spend on acquisition because they get more out of every customer and they, you know, the loyalty just gets stronger and stronger. Uh, I remember a few years ago, it was like every, you know, every player usually plays uh, across two to four brands. Two to four brands. So yeah. if you can if you can increase your share of wallet, right, you get you obviously get a lot more. So I think that's that's to your point. That's like one of the main reasons why also gaming is is such a good because also the way brands perceive the idea of CRM marketing, it gets the attention of the C suite. It's something super important. They put their best people on it. Uh, so then it kind of like creates this this. Uh, really really good place to to optimize and flourish overall fantastic and last question Pini. marketing in let's say five to ten years how will the space look like what how what will change Big question. yeah um you talk about CRM marketing or generally about marketing i i would say general marketing and how that relates to crm you know how the two converges okay. Yeah, so I, I actually had a, had a keynote session about it uh, back in 2017 in one of our uh, one of our Optimove Connect summits, and uh, essentially when 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 I looked at it, it seems that uh, it seems that like uh, acquisition and retention marketing or acquisition and CRM marketing is getting is kind of like merged. Uh, slowly but surely, it's it's becoming. That's at least what I predicted. I predicted that uh, data is going to become a commodity, right? Uh, and this this is connected to privacy as well. But like, uh, I actually thought at the time that the, the battle for privacy is is somewhat lost. Uh, mostly, people prefer the convenience of personalization uh, rather than most people, right? Rather than uh, guarding their privacy. And uh, and once data becomes a commodity, uh, the entire planet can can look like one big CRM database. So if that's the case, when you're when you're running campaigns to acquire new customers, you will apply the same mindset that you have in CRM, not the mindset of acquisition today. Today, the mindset of acquisition is kind of like casting nets and seeing which types of fish swim in this certain area and then kind of like optimizing the bid and optimizing the the cost of acquisition and the ROAS and all of those things whereas in CRM you're saying here's the here here here's a group of people you know what's going to engage them right what do they like to see what's most relevant for them and and once that line becomes more blur blurred all marketing becomes CRM marketing now, I will say this is something I said uh, three and a half years ago. And ever since, right, we see the scrutiny that Facebook and Google are going through. And ever since, you know, with, with the, when they were in, the, you know, in, in the U.S. Uh, Congress and, and all of those things that you yeah. saw. And I think since then, they actually dumbed down their data capabilities. So, like, in the past, you, you were able to acquire much more sophisticated segments within Facebook and Google, and now they dropped a lot of the filters because I think they're trying to to get less heat from from that, from that place. So 
So it's a good question, I, I, and it's connected to yeah. privacy as well. And obviously, Facebook and Google are uh, the main players, and, and Amazon and Apple, but they're like kind of like the main players in that space. And it feels to me that if we talk about privacy, right, we can talk about the GDPR, and the, and yeah. if you're a gaming company, like what type of privacy you offer to your players with their data. But ultimately, you know, the biggest people to fear in terms of privacy are, are those big four companies. I mean, they have. You know, because they have cross-dimensional data. Yeah, like if 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 I'm a player in a gaming company, you see only my my gaming behavior. You're not seeing anything else. But if I'm Google, right, I can see a, you know I can see where you go right through your mobile device. I can see where you're at. I can see what you do across the web. Everything you browse, everything you look at. Uh, there's just so much data that they see, so they can really. They can really, you know, pinpoint a person and go deep in terms of who that person is, uh, and that's pretty scary. It's the same goes with Facebook. Each one of them has their own different uh, advantages, but ultimately, I think that's that's the way it works. But uh, this this is for marketing, I would say, and um, so so still kind of like I guess we'll see that we have six more years, so we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe we'll do the podcast again and report what happened at the time, and. Yeah, but but CRM marketing, I think, as I said before, I think it's it's going to be you know, it's it's all going to a place where uh, you know a lot of the rule based approach that exists today, today's approach mostly to CRM is is a rule based CRM journeys. So kind of like those journeys that you do. If this happened, that happened, and if the player deposited and show him this and show him that. And the marketer needs to define all of the rules and the marketer needs to think about everything and this is just not scalable. This entire thing needs to become uh, AI driven. So the marketer will still define the treatments, hmm. but mapping out the journey and drawing the journey in between those different treatments, this will be done by AI. And that's essentially what, op this is why I'm, I'm kind of like, this is the problem that I'm going after. This is my Moby Dick. Um, and we call this uh, AI map CRM journeys, but that's that's where we're at, and and we're already partially there, and still kind of like uh, some more stuff to do. So marketers can uh, breathe a sigh of relief that uh, they are still going to be relevant for the foreseeable future, hand in hand with the Iron Man AI costume. Exactly. I, I love they're that just, analogy, by the way. Gonna, <laughs> just gonna become Iron Man. Just, they'll yeah. be enhanced. <laughs> and who wouldn't want to be Iron Man? I mean, amazing. Exactly. Pini, uh, it's been on Tony Stark, right? Uh, exactly. Uh, Pini, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, today. You know, like you're saying, we definitely have to do this again. Like, uh, thank you for giving the time today. I mean, uh, we, we, I said before the podcast that I'm just uh, a little Padawan here today, listening to Yoda. Um, uh, you know, and, and it's been a fascinating learning uh, experience to to go through this podcast uh, together. So I wanted to just uh, thank you for for that opportunity. Uh, and um, you know, Optimove. I mean, I've been following you guys for for quite some time. We haven't met before, Pini, but I'm I'm really happy that we we're in touch, and I'm really happy that um, to to see kind of the growth that you've had over these ten years. And hopefully, this will be the one and only job that you will have for a long time. Uh, in other words, uh, together with the growth process that comes with it. Um, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much, Pini, and I, I wish you a good day and and um, take care of yourself. Okay. Great. I, I love being in the podcast and thank you, Pierre. And I hope the listeners got uh, got some value from the podcast. Absolutely. All right. Take care of yourself. Thanks. Take care of each other. And we'll see you soon.